Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Tandem Coaching Academy, Keeping Agile Coaching Non-Denominational Podcast. And we are your hosts today, uh, Shuri Siles and I, Alex Goodenough. And today we host Pete Derrance, and he joins us from Colorado, and apparently there was a lot of thunderstorm there. Um, it was interesting kind of uh, to join Zoom, and there was, yeah, stormy weather. Hi, Pete, how are you doing? Uh, thank you, Alex and Cherie, for, for letting me be here. Hopefully the thunderstorms aren't a sign of things to come in this podcast, or maybe that's a good thing. We want that storm to happen. Well, I mean, change is probably loud, and change is probably not comfortable, so maybe thunderstorm is not such a bad thing. So, um, Pete, why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners? Yeah, yeah, thank you very much. Um, you might say I have three roles right now. Um, I'm founder of the Agile Leadership Journey, uh, which is a global community inspiring, catalyzing leaders for, for growth in, in Agile ways of working. I'm a leadership catalyst myself, and that means I'm sparking awareness and insight and, and you know, developing leaders and their organizations. But for me, that's that's a shift. I work through leaders. I, I often don't work with the organizations directly uh, as as a coach. And then finally, like you, I am a podcaster now. And so we initiated a new podcast in 2021 called Relearning Leadership, where we're rethinking leadership and, and what does it look like in today's disruptive workplaces. And so having fascinating time sharing, connecting to stories and leaders. And, and in this particular podcast, we take real leadership challenges and combine it with coaches or other guides and, and experts in the world who can share and help us learn from those stories. So that's a bit about me right now, but I, I would say in a, in an arc, it's all about leadership. So, and relearning leadership, and it seems like we're constantly learning leadership. We started like mid last century. Uh, there were big strides made there and, uh, America was in the forefront of leadership. Um, and then it's 2021 and we're still relearning leadership. Um, what are some things that you see in that process of relearning? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's fascinating. You're right. You know, you go back and I look at some of the fundamental shifts that occurred even in the 1930s and 40s with the concept of Deming and the the power they gave to the employee back then, I think is even today unheard of. They gave them the ability to stop an entire assembly plant with a pull of a cord. You, you don't see that kind of empowerment today. You know, so you, you look back in past and I think you see these moments where it's like, oh, my gosh, that was significant power distribution and change. And many companies trying to copy that leadership style. And, and what they did is they copied the practice, but they didn't copy the empowerment. They didn't copy the gift of, of you know, changing the dynamic of the leader and employee ratio. And so a lot of those companies struggled. And I see that happening today. You see a lot of organizations say, yeah, we're lean. We've leaned out. We, we've got, you know, DevOps practices or, or, you know, we're doing things today that are much more adaptive. But yet when it comes down to some of the constructs around even, you know, servant leadership, uh, let me just pick on that one for a second. You know, servant leadership has been around for decades. Yet 
the myth, if you ask anybody, what is servant leadership? Most people would say, well, you go to the verb serve. I'm here to serve. And that's true. And and the core of leadership is to serve. But what they miss is what's the other side of that? The My service to the organization is to lead. And and all of a sudden you start to rethink that and you say, wait a second. So so what does that mean to lead? That means you have to be a little bit more assertive. So servant leadership truly isn't just being a doormat and doing what everybody wants and saying, hey, what do you need? It's it's a dynamic power sharing mode. But again, those are things where we 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 lose, I believe, the fundamentals behind them. We pick up on some key things and all of a sudden it gets a myth or a bias. And so it's even things like that, that that leaders need to be revisiting and rethinking. What is our relationship to how we show up? What's our relationship to others that we're serving in our organizations? And as you were talking about doormat, um, I was remembering like every scrum master is a servant leader. We bring coffee and we take notes. Yeah, that's servant leadership. <laughs> so I'm wondering, um, and as kind of I thought about Scrum Master, and um, we we keep saying that uh, leadership should be shown at all levels in the organization. So, and as we keep relearning this leadership. How in your mind, how in your experience, it percolates organization from top to bottom or bottom to top? Yeah, yeah, I love that question. And uh, we just did an all hands for one of our clients today. And that question came up, too. Like, what's the role of leader? Um, You know, to, to poke in on your scrum master. Think of that word, scrum master. A lot of our scrum master trainers are challenging. Is that the right word? Should we be using the word master when it when it combines with slave and and, you know, those types of things need to be rethought in and of itself. But getting to back to your question, leadership level, what, what we like to do is talk about the ship leadership. It's, it's less the role of leader. It's the act of leading. It's the action, the behavior that's the most important. And that shows up. Everywhere that shows up in everyone. So so to us, everyone in the organization shapes culture. Everyone in the organization has the, the responsibility to serve. What is what am I bringing? What's my expertise? Am I a developer uh, with design? Am I a tester focusing on you know the quality aspects? Am I am I marketing focusing on how the messaging comes across? We all lead. And and to give certain people the title, that's part of what we're needing to relearn. That title gets in our ways. And the more titles we have in organizations, we hand them out today like candy. We can't give you a raise. We can't give you, you know, this, but we can give you a new title. You're head of X. You're head. And the more titles we give, the more disruption we're making in the workplace, because now I can't do that until I have a title. And so so that's. One of the challenges we find is is titles are something we need to relearn. Yeah. So you you talked about culture and everyone shaping culture. And that's interesting. And I agree. And then there's this other thing that comes in with do you do transformation from the bottom up or the top down or do you start in the middle? And 
And so it makes me wonder then if we're going to change the culture of an organization, who determines what that culture is that we're shaping? Yeah. And and this is one of the, I think, myths around servant leadership is we don't have the capacity to tell people what to do. And that's wrong. We just need to change what our vision is. So one of the things we want to think about is, all right, as leader, is my vision how we build something? Is my vision what we build? Or is my vision who are we that's building this thing? if we're building something or servicing or whatever the the role of our company is. Now, the nuance between those three things you'll notice is, you know, one is is in the depths of of the operations of what we do. The other is in more of the 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 focus of what we do. And the third one is more of the the people and the culture. So when we talk about leadership, we talk about the fact that different leaders serve different parts of that organization. And it's not that one is more or less important. It's just as we're thinking about culture, there needs to be some leaders and typically the ones with more power in an organization have the ability to access those levers. Uh, what are the values we aspire to? You know, and this is where, you know, I think more and more you're seeing, you know, large company CEOs be asked to take a stand on political issues, Black Lives Matter or, you know, uh, you know, LGBTQ, uh, you know, uh, TQ rights, uh, voting rights, you know, in Georgia. And you're seeing, OK, I'm the, I'm the CEO of Delta. I got to take a stand on this. That's that's risky. That's dangerous. But that's also culture. That's values. What are we standing for? And we saw uh, a, a year or two ago, we saw Salesforce and the head of Salesforce, Mark Benioff, Stand up for Indiana and say, if Indiana is going to put you know, fairly draconian human rights you know, uh, laws on the books, we're going to pull out. And this is where you're seeing you know, corporate leaders not only talk about culture inside an organization, but now how is that culture shaping the world around us? Now, I know everybody in an organization doesn't have that access, but this is where I just want to, to illustrate the responsibility for culture. Yes, everyone shapes it, but we shape it at different levels. And so just to give you an illustration of this, a, a CEO like Mark Benioff has a huge shadow. We call this a shadow. It's it, the culture is like a, a it's a reflection of, of who we are. But that scrum master or that director of engineering or that you know manager of operations they have a shadow too. And their shadow is much smaller, but we call it more acute. It's sharper. People leave a company because of their manager, not because of Mark Benioff. And so, and so everybody in the organization has a shadow. They, they impact people differently. And so what we talk about is, yes, senior leaders will, will create a broad shadow, but it's fairly obtuse. And the local leaders create a, an acute shadow that impacts the people around them much more intensely. So it's interesting as I'm hearing you talking about shadows and I, I kind of think I know where you're going with that, but then I'm thinking of all these levels of management that are throwing off shadows and when they intersect, it must be really dark right there. <laughs> With all those shadows intersecting, like, 
what does the small guy do in all those shadows? They need a flashlight or something. Yeah, they certainly have trouble seeing the sun, don't they? Yeah. Right. And so, um, so it, it, it's interesting. And we talked about the titles, and you brought in power. So, in in my mind, title does bring in power, or title pulls in power. So, I'm wondering why you separated leadership in title, but not leadership and power. Yeah. You know, and, and this is, I don't think we have the answers to this right now. Um, you know, what does it mean to separate title from power? I think right now those are connected just as titles from salary and, you know, uh, titles and benefits and things are, are connected or interconnected titles and status. You know, you think about, you know, how do people show up and, you know, what, how do they feel about who they are as tied to title? So, so yeah, it's, it's a really good question, Alex, and, and one that, that I think we need to continue to explore. Um, and, and one we're not going to get away from, uh, anytime soon. And, and I think this is where, as we think about being a coach, and, you know, I know your audience is, is in this coaching realm when I'm coaching leaders. I often do not focus on title. I don't focus on power. I focus very personally. Who are you? How do you think? How do you show up? Regardless of your shadow, regardless of your influence, you have the ability to change who you are. And and when we get to shaping culture and when we get to changing an organization, organizations are people. The only way an organization changes is people change. And and so the more people change you can have, the better or more culture change you're going to see in the organization. And that's what it comes down to. It's, you know, it gets down to the, you know, uh, uh, be the person you want to see, you know, change in the world, whatever that quote is. And and that's that's really what it comes down to is let's go to that leader. Who am I working with? And so if you're a coach working with a director or working with a manager or working with an architect or working with the senior VP, that's irrelevant. You can change, you can help shape, you can help catalyze change in that person. So, Pete, I know you do a lot of the work around agile leadership, certified agile leadership. But when I hear you talking here, um, this this just simply sounds like leadership. So. <laughs> I mean, is there a Thank difference between leadership and agile leadership? Or Thank you. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Sherry, you win the prize. Yeah, you know, and people that come through our awareness workshops, uh, we separate out training. We don't call it training. We call it awareness because that's what we're doing is creating new awareness. Um, one of the key comments we get from leaders coming is like, this isn't an agile class. This was a leadership class. And and we're proud of that. Uh, and that is a key differentiator. We, we see a lot of agile leadership in the world, and, and a lot of it is teaching agile to leaders. We don't find that very useful. Uh, the, you can go to a Scrum Master class, go to a product, you know, go to an agile class to learn about agile. We don't need a leadership class to teach people about agile. We need leadership classes to teach leadership that enable agile values, transparency, collaboration, empowerment, you know, um, you know, diversity, inclusion, you know, creativity, you know. So what we're doing is we're connecting how you show up as a leader to the agile values and give you an example. So make it a little more tangible. 
Believe it or not, when I think about agility, most people say it's like that dog. Oh, squirrel, squirrel, squirrel. I can quickly adapt to my situation and I can I can do something. But if you think about that dog who's quite agile, they're often not very smart. They're they're just following, you know, the the, the shiny ball. And and so the other side of agility that we talk about is mindful agility. What is that? That's creativity. Am I doing the right thing? Are we building the right thing? What is it we should be doing here? Is it yes or no, or is it shades of gray? And so when I think about agility of the mind, I'm thinking about, am I being creative enough to know where we should be going so that when we are agile in movement, we're moving in the right direction? That's a whole different form of agility. And so as a leader, can I situationally be aware and adapt in the moment of a conversation and a decision. That's agility. And so we're bringing it down to its basics. The difference between agile as a practice, great, but agility as a competency is totally different. When I hear you talk about this, it it really sounds a lot like strategic versus tactical in many ways. What do you think about that? Yeah, so so time time horizon is a key aspect of self-awareness of leaders. And and the way we talk about that is the time arc. So going from tactical to to strategic to visionary are three different time horizons. And they often reflect, okay, as a leader, where's my bias? Am I biased towards the near term? Am I biased towards the long term? Because, in fact, we can have dysfunction on either side of that. You know, you, you're biased to near term and all, every wave's like the sky is falling, chicken little. But if you're biased to the long term, all this is like, hello, who's there? There's like reality going on over here. I know you're off in the, you know, 10 year vision, but we have real problems. So, so being too aloof or being too, too, too reactive. Again, that's, that's a difficulty. And so what we talk about is again, not that one is better than the other. What is my focus? What's my awareness of my time horizon? How much time am I spending in each one? And am I able to adapt as needed in situations that require it? So, so yeah, again, it's all about that awareness and then my adaptability in real time to be able to address those various time horizons. Mm-hmm. And we started talking about the change right, and change in the long term and change in the short term. And I cannot keep thinking about this. Now, here you see, it takes all the running you can do to keep in the same place. If you want to get somewhere else, you must run at least twice as fast as that. <laughs> so, in, the, in this world of the Red Queen and Red Queen's race, and it seems like we're all there, what are the qualities that leaders have to bring to the table to run twice as fast as that to get somewhere? Well, Alex, interesting question. And I, and I, I might challenge the question. And, and the reason I would challenge the question is it's kind of like, is Agile just about going faster or is Agile doing more of the right things, maybe at the same speed? And, and I look at that with leadership, too. And, and a lot of people will come and say, OK, we're moving too fast. And one of the dangers of, of speed, uh, one of the dangers of 
change, you know, it threatens us. It it it, it puts you know the 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 adrenaline in our brain. It heat it, it gets our heart rate going up. You know, we narrow our focus on on what we're doing, and so. What that does for leaders is that pushes you into emergency leadership. That puts you into reactionary leadership. And so any form of threat, and speed is one of those, competition, change, is is going to be a catalyst for reverting to probably a, a, a not as effective form of leadership. Now, there's a time for that. You think of 9-11, you think of COVID response. Emergency leadership has a place in chaos. The challenge is getting out of that leadership. And this is where, you know, I would argue people like, you know, Giuliani did awesome in 9-11 response, wasn't real good once that was over. And you see this a lot with with leaders who did survive a a pretty catastrophic emergency. So going back to your question, I would say, I don't want to run four times as fast. I don't think Scrum needs to be the 4X that Jeff Sutherland talks about it in, in, in the world. What I believe is we're making better decisions and we're, we're choosing to do the right things more often. How do we know? Because we're testing those assumptions more quickly. You go to the fundamentals of Agile, we don't know more. We learn faster. So I think, to me, leadership today is less about what you know and it's more about how fast you're learning what you don't know. And as long as you speed up your learning, I don't think you have to be 4X. And of course, that was a tricky question. Um, so I want to segue <laughs> a little bit into coaching. And in coaching, like one of the, not ICF core competencies, but competencies that great coaches bring to the table is to slow down to take things slower, breathe, and to take a look at what's going on at slower speed, like like in a slow-mo, if you will, because that's where you get that insight, that's where you get that awareness. So, and I want to contrast training and coaching, and I know that you got out of training, uh, kind of, uh, and focus more on coaching, focus more on leadership. So I'm curious, what's in your mind the maybe just a position or contrast between training impact and coaching impact, especially when it comes to leadership? Yeah. Yeah. And let me correct you a little bit, Alex. I, I still train. I don't train Scrum or uh, anymore. I don't train Scrum Masters product owners. I, I teach leadership. So. Yeah, what uh, I call myself a catalyst because I think as a catalyst, our job is to create awareness and help develop. So I I tend not to use words training and coaching as much as I enjoy awareness and then practice to get better. And I think everybody can improve with better awareness. And and we don't even know what to practice until we're more aware. It's like we got to prioritize the backlog before we speed up. If, we're, if we speed up first, we're just going to build more of the wrong things. So so what I'm looking for is is I want to spark awareness as to, okay, what am I doing and how is that how is that showing up? And then the practice is that ability to apply that in real time. So relating this to health, exercise, uh, the same 
application is going to apply in leadership. If we're not doing it every day, it's not going to happen. If we don't have a lifestyle of what we call a reflective awareness, a reflective practice, it's not going to happen. You know, 90 X percent of what we do is default, is habits, is is we've always done it this way. And, you know, our brains are so powerful and yet so limited in that fashion that that it's easy to go through your day and come at the end of the day and your spouse asks you, you know, what would you do today? Uh, I don't know. You can't remember. It's, it's, it's just default mode. So that ability to hack in to your default mode, the ability to then reflect in the real time and what you're getting that there is is critical it's that deep breath it's the setback okay what's happening right now and how do i deal with this and we call we call these choices you've got thousands and thousands of choices every moment should i talk should i not should i ask a question or should i share should i do it now or do it in another minute should i sit up or should i sit back i mean think of Every one of those is a decision, but most of those are being done in, in default. So when we talk about leadership development, we have to create awareness to that. How am I showing up and how does that impact others? That's called self-awareness, social awareness, and then situational adaptiveness. How do I respond in that moment? And this is true for leaders and it's true for coaches. Um, this is, this is a universal a gift or universal skill to be developed. Yeah. yeah, and as you were talking about that, I wasn't particularly sure you were talking about leadership or coaches, because that <laughs> was like pretty much same. Yeah. So it occurs to me that for someone to make these types of changes, they'd have to have humility to accept feedback and to accept the you know, they need to change and a desire to change. And so I can imagine that there is agile coaches sitting out here listening and even organizational coaches listening and saying, yeah, right. And then we get there and the managers and the leaders don't want to work with us. So uh, how do you, how do you want to speak to them to help them to understand, well, how do you get connected? How do you build that trust and um, create that bridge to be able to have the relationship that can withstand, you know, what they need to lead. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, it's interesting as I've worked my way and I, I've been very fortunate in my career. Uh, you know, I've been at this as a trainer coach, you know, in the agile space in different, different places for 15, 16 years now, but I was fortunate in two ways. One is, before I was a coach, I was a leader. And so, you know, I started out as an engineer, but I was a tech lead. I was an engineering manager. I was a director. I was a senior director. I was a VP. I, I had lots of leadership responsibility. And one of the things that, you know, I know just through my career of working with other leaders and working with coaches who struggle with that same, how do I get access to the leader question? Can you relate to the leader? have you walked their shoes? And unfortunately, a lot of coaches became coaches first and maybe haven't walked the shoes of what it's like to make that decision 
what it's like to do the riff, what it's like to, um, you know, have to decide between this strategy and this strategy. These are incredibly difficult decisions, you know, and there's a lot on the line. And, you know, I look at this a little bit like somebody that wants to get a promotion without having done the work. So, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to say as a, as a coach, how, do, how would you, how do you teach them that? You don't. Uh, you've got to experience it. You've got to put yourself in those, those, those moments to know what that's like. And this is one of the reasons I don't want to be a coach only. I don't want to be a trainer only. Uh, I'm running two different companies. Um, I, I volunteer, you know, in organizations because I want to stay close to my customer. I want to know what that feels like. You know, I got a 360 back a year, year ago. And that feedback was like, sting, ouch, right? It was, Pete, we hired the COO. And, you know, in my mind, when I hired the CEO, I asked for feedback. I said, hey, I think this, this could be a good person. Give me some feedback. I got my 360 back. And it was like, Pete, yeah, you asked for feedback, but your mind was made up. Said, so, uh, why should I contribute to it? It was like, bam, ouch, that, that hurts. But it's so true. I was convinced to hire her. And I was asking for feedback how to fit her in. But that wasn't clear. And 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 so this is where, you know, when when I think about now, that's a story I can share. I can connect to a leader. And I think what leaders are looking for in coaches is coaches who have that ability to connect and be able to walk side by side, not I'm here to help you. I'm here to fix you. I'm here to, you know, I'm because I think a lot of coaches come in and they have they don't. They don't purposefully do it, but I think by their posture and questioning, they come out above the leader and mm. leaders do not like that. Leaders want to walk hand in hand. They want to work through stuff. And if all you do is ask questions and, and you, you, you connect at that level, you, you'll turn off those leaders. Yeah, I agree. And so this brings me to a conversation that Alex and I have had often with other people around the argument of can you be an executive coach if you've never been an executive? Do you just have to know coaching? Um, and, and so we, we stand on the side of well, you need, you need to have been in leadership. You need to have been an executive, be able to do the coaching that they need because you can't relate to where they're at. Right. And, and so it's, it's, it's nice to hear you bring that home and um, to a place where maybe we can help adult, adult coaches to understand where they are and what they're doing. Um, so thank you for that. Yeah, you know, it, I would say that's true for most. And I think that's good advice for most. You're always going to find exceptions where they can relate, they can connect without having that experience. I remember, you know, as an engineer, I would get frustrated at project managers that didn't get tech. And it was like, come on, I got to explain all this stuff to you. And you get frustrated with them. But then you get one of those unique project managers who gets it, but they've never done it. It's like, oh, okay. So, yeah, there's going to be a few special coaches out there that could skip that track. But for most of most of the world out there, great advice. Yeah. Yeah. So, And it opens the whole Pandora box of questions and the whole kind of can of worms because – 
and the conversation is not only about leadership and executive coaching. The conversation is basically about coaching and kind of the word on the street, kind of the populist vote is that, well, you need to have coaching skills and, and kind of the counter arguments, for example, I heard, do you need to be gay to coach gay people? Do you need to be black to coach black people? Do you need to be Chinese to coach Chinese people? And all that. So I'm wondering, is executive and leadership just the kind of category by itself when it's useful to kind of at least have history? Or what? what is so special about executive and leadership coaching is that basically separated from all other maybe coaching styles, coaching approaches? Yeah, well, you put a lot. You put a lot of landmines out there, Alex. <laughs> I'm going to be very careful to step into. Um, well, the thing is, like, many, that's the land we are walking on, right? <laughs> it it is, and and I am certainly not going to coach uh, a, a black person around the concept of probably dealing with a lot of their racial injustice, nor would I attempt to try to coach a female leader and and be able to connect to a, a sense of what it's like to feel that double bind of, of can't be assertive or you come out as bitchy, you know, and, and, and how do you live in a, a male gendered, you know, leadership society? So, you know, if you're coaching leadership, I, I'm not, you know, and this is where, I believe all coaches have a bias. You know, we call it, we call it executive coach. We call it personal coaching. We call it agile coaching. Uh, baseball coach. I don't care what you, what you put it. I, in fact, my favorite podcast actually came from a basketball coach in, in, I think it was South Carolina and it was a lesser known college. And they asked him about these boys and he says, you know, I'm, I'm a human coach that uses basketball as the lens to help build strong men. And I thought that was just a beautiful statement that, you know, these are, these are black boys trying to be men and he's in the gym teaching them how to respond when they get pulled over by a cop. This is a basketball coach. Now I'm not going to do that, but this is again where We've got the responsibility. What's my job here? My job is growth. My job is, you know, alertness, awareness, development. I use a lens of agility. So when people hire me, I've got a focal point. I've got a bias. Just as a basketball coach has a bias, we're going to learn basketball. But it doesn't mean I only teach basketball. And so I think every coach has a bias. They need to recognize that bias. And they should be upfront with that bias. You didn't hire me here just to just to do whatever you want. You know, all coaches should have, you know, a a um a lens of of um uh can't think of can't think of the word here, but but moral judgment. But beyond that, uh, you're asking me you you related to me, you connected to me, you pay for me because you want my bias perspective. So so yeah, if if I'm being drawn into leadership coach. That's my bias. That's the thing I want to have some skin in the game. Yeah. So I want to pull you out of the deep water for just a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Give me the life raft. Let you breathe a little bit. Um, 
yeah, I'd I just like to hear what have we not asked you that you would love to be able to just to say to coaches, to adult coaches, to leaders, to bring yeah. us to where we want to be? Well, let me maybe start by talking to your audience, the coaches um, that might be mostly listening to this. You know, like servant leadership, I think coaching has a bias. And, you know, where most leaders in corporations are what we call over-assertive. They, they act too quickly. They talk too much. They, um, you know, they tell more than they ask. I think agile coaches have a bias of over-accommodatedness. They ask too many questions. They don't share enough of themselves and their stories. They're too patient. They don't challenge the people that they're with. The coaches I've had, and I continue to get coaching, and I find that to be an incredible blessing I can afford to do. And I tend to see coaches that are willing to say, Pete, let me tell you something I'm seeing. Pete, let me share a different perspective. You say X, your body language says Y, or you say X, and and this is what I'm seeing. So what I'm saying here is I think coaches could improve by actually doing less coaching and doing a bit more challenging and meeting leaders where they are. Because, you know, you go back to people like, you know, let's take Steve Ballmer at Microsoft, not a great track record as, as, a, as a senior executive at a company, did some good things, strategy, culturally, you know, uh, a lot of, a lot of difficulty. Steve Ballmer was incredibly uh, confrontational, but Steve Ballmer wanted you to confront him back. I just had a podcast episode with Dean Leffingwell, you know, Dean Leffingwell from, you know, starting safe. Well, Dean and I go way back. I've worked two or three companies with Dean and had to work under him. That's the way Dean works. He thinks by debate. But a lot of people take that as, oh, you're being disruptive. You're, you're just telling people what to do. No, that's their, that's their thinking process. And I think as coaches, we've got to recognize where leaders are. And maybe you've got to start to match their power. And, and, and as you start to show that power, that could be respected by these leaders as well. Yeah, so it's my turn to challenge you a little bit on your answer. So when I hear you say coaches need to stop or do less coaching, um, my response is actually, no, they need to do more coaching because what you described is actually coaching. Oh, good they need point. To stop asking so many questions and start doing what coaching is. So high support demands high challenge or you're just why are you even there you're just babying them you're you're their cheerleader right so Thank you, i agree and let's get coaches doing real coaching <laughs> i love the way you you uh you nuanced and you nuanced that language and it's exactly right yeah i use the word coaching as the bias of asking too many questions and you're exactly right effective coaching requires the balance yeah yeah. And so I heard you mention something a little bit earlier about that daily reflective practice. And what that brings to mind is something that 
I've been in lately and trying to bring into the adult world is the concept of coaching supervision. And it's kind of exactly what you're saying. It's having, having another thought partner, right? Whether it's a coach or a supervisor to be able to look at me and the way I'm looking at my clients to make sure that I'm showing up in the most effective way for them, not just for me. So, um, yeah, I don't, I, how do you, you've got a lot of coaches working for you. How do you um, kind of manage that, ensuring that they are doing something to make sure that they're growing and they're showing up for their clients, for the client's best interest and not their own? Yeah. You know, I, I tend to avoid as much as possible coaches working for me. Um, I, I tend to engage a lot of coaches in relationships that I also have with clients, but it's a really good question on accountability. Um, and something that I don't think we can fix or solve. Uh, certainly paired coaching is, is wonderful. You know, like you're doing here with a paired podcast, it's also incredibly expensive and, uh, you know, time consuming. Um, one of the things we look for is, you know, collaborative engagements. And so whether or not we're teaching leaders, you know, let's go into small cohorts, learn together. And, and the guide is there as a navigator, a helper, but they're not, you know, there's, there's less one-on-one -on -one coaching. It's more maybe peer to peer and then sometimes some advice and then sometimes one-on-one. -on -one. So we mix it up a lot. Um, and the other thing we do is, is when we go more into from awareness to practice, one of the things we try to do is we try to build multiple cohorts. So what we mean by this is like our public programs will have six or seven or eight cohorts and each of those cohorts is guided by a coach. And so now you got an ecosystem. So I'm there, uh, in overseeing a number of it. I pair myself with another one of our, our, our program coaches, Karen Kemmerling, who oversees the other coaches. Maybe we dive into one of those cohorts and then we've got cohort guides. So what we try to do is we try to create a community of coaching mm -hmm. and then we're helping each other out and we're, we're, we, we meet as a coaching team. We meet as cohorts. So yeah, we're not always there to see what's going on, but we're hoping the ecosystem allows some of those things to to emerge and we learn from and i'm not saying we're doing it right i don't know that we're doing it great um and uh, if you have some ideas you know i'd love to hear those as well but but yeah it's an important space you know how do we develop as coaches and how do we improve our own trait other than you know the mistakes we make and learn from those yeah and i think a lot of that is the willingness to self-reflect Right. Mm -hmm. They it's it's not about me supervising or being your, the uh, I'm your boss as a coach. It's about you saying, hey, I want a thought partner to look at the way I'm working with my client with me so that I can figure out what I might do differently and what might be getting in my own way. Yeah. So. yeah and I, I don't know if you're doing it right or wrong. It just sounds like a very fine balance walking that line between holding a candle and standing behind the shoulder, right? And then just letting it loose and hoping kind of that everything will turn out right. It's, it's a fine balance. 
Mm-hmm. So, and this is probably one of the rarest podcasts that we are through like 35, 45 minutes by now, and we haven't mentioned COVID, we haven't mentioned anything. So I, I'm going to mention it. It's still with us. So 2020 was whatever it was. And hopefully right now we see the light at the end of the tunnel, and hopefully that's not a train that's coming at us at full speed. Right. And I hear a lot of people hoping for travel, people hoping for meeting, people hoping to get back to the community. So what are you looking forward to for the rest of 2021? Hmm. Yeah, you know, I I feel blessed to have received the first vaccine um, and, and just that in and of itself is, is a relief, uh, you know, and, and and, you know, a light at the end of the tunnel. And, and so. Um, and I know I'm, I'm pretty fortunate in, in, in terms of that right now. Um, you know, one of the things that we're realizing is, is while we have adapted to some degree, I think we've gone into hibernation from a creative perspective. You know, most creativity occurs in random bumpings and, you know, gatherings and, and, you know, these offsites where it's at, at, at beer at dinner. We just, we miss those things. And, you know, we can listen to podcasts and we can, you know, have Zoom calls, but these are all forced interactions. You know, these are all structured interactions. And, you know, we don't have those multilinear discussions and random things happening in our world right now. And so, yeah, my, my, you know, what I'm looking forward to is, is being able to get back into those spaces where we can create more human connection with the work that we're doing. You know, I solely miss that as, as, you know, as a trainer, uh, as just a a partner with, with other colleagues, uh, as a coach with clients, um, you know, as a learner, you know, in, in going to conferences and that ecosystem. So, so yeah, for me, it's, it's mostly about um, rekindling that creative, collaboration, the co-creative space that needs a little bit more multi-linear dimensions to them than we get via these forced <laughs> Zoom calls. And that's a very beautiful word, rekindling. So, uh, and we talked a lot about leadership and you focusing on leadership. So for those leaders, and as we said, it's from top to bottom. Uh, not titles, not powers. For those who want to get in touch, who want to ask questions, who want to who want anything from you, how do they get in touch? Yeah, yeah. So a couple of a couple of things for people to do. The, the the easiest one to you know start to see what we're about is to uh, go visit relearningleadership.show. It's it's our it's our podcast webpage where we've got all the episodes and uh, we put a lot more behind them. You know the 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 guest profiles. We we put in some of our analysis and and, and the stories and the transcripts and things. If if there is an interest in more awareness, if there is an interest in some development, whether that's as a coach or a leader. In fact, my favorite classes have about a 50-50 balance, leaders and coaches. It's fascinating when we teach those together. In fact, my very first time I taught a leadership class, I designed it that way to says, I want half the audience to be coaches 
because I want coaches to know what leaders are like. I want leaders to know what coaches are like. And I find that to be fascinating. So we, the agile leadership journey is there to attract both. And we actually want both coming through this program and, and what that's like. And, and yeah, we curate them into what we call guides, but they need both. They need that leadership and that coaching element to be effective in, in our community. So if there are leaders out there wanting to do more coaching, or if there's coaches out there wanting to understand and, and connect to more leaders, I encourage them to visit us at agileleadershipjourney.com and, and inquire there, one of the programs we have on awareness of practice, or just reach out and you know talk to us about you know what that journey is like. All right. Well, Pete, thank you so much for coming and spending some time with us. Um, I definitely hope for the lockdown to end sometime soon and rekindling or reestablishing connections and uh, meeting you and uh, others in person soon. And uh, this has been Tandem Coaching Academies, Keeping Agile Coaching Non-Denominational Podcast. And we have Pete Barnes with us. We, Alex Kudinov and Sherry Silas, your hosts. Bye now.